The series is called Boast in the Lord, and we're going to talk about self-esteem, but godly self-esteem. I think um, there's a difference between godly self-esteem and worldly self-esteem. Godly self-esteem is about boasting in Jesus and finding our hope in Jesus, finding our confidence in Jesus, and not in ourselves. We find our value, our worth, our dignity, and our identity in who God says we are, not in who we think we are and who others think we are. The world will tell you, you just got to believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself and you'll be all right. That's not true. God says your heart is desperately wicked. You don't believe in yourself. We trust in Jesus, not in ourselves. Salvation history breaks down into four parts. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. You could pretty much break down all of human history into those four parts. God created us. God spoke the world into existence. And he set two human beings, Adam and Eve, on top of everything to rule over his creation. They were given everything except a tree. They rebelled against God's command not to eat of the fruit of the tree. They have, basically, we live in that world today. We live in a broken, fallen, rebellious world. That image that we were created in has been marred over. It's been tainted. And then God had a rescue plan, and he sent Jesus Christ to restore that image. So every human being you come in contact with is an image bearer of God, but they are not living as God wanted them to. And therefore, when we believe in Jesus, God sends his Holy Spirit into our heart and we become conformed into the image of Christ and not conformed to the image of the world. That's the gospel. You got that? All right, we're done. I'm kidding. Our image was tarnished, and Jesus is restoring God's image in us. That's the gospel. The gospel says we're lost, we're blind, we're corrupt, we're egotistical, we're confused, we're double-minded. The gospel also says that God, or Jesus, is the way, the truth, and the life That he is love and he is one with the Father. Therefore, we will never truly know who we are. We'll truly never know what God wants for our lives or what we're purposed to do on this earth until Jesus saves us and recreates us. I want you all to look at this quote real quick. Jesus did not die to increase our self-esteem. Rather, Jesus died to bring glory to the Father by redeeming people from the curse of sin. Please remember that this morning. Please remember that because there's a tendency for us to take Christianity and just turn it into a self-help religion. I'm going to help. I'm going to have I'm going to use Jesus to help me. No. Christianity is not a self-help religion. The gospel is not a self-help religion. The gospel is a God-glorifying thing. Your life is not your own. You are not the center of the universe. And as we're going to learn this morning, God created the universe and anything he gives us is called grace. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about our self-image and our identity. Here's a fantastic quote that we actually went over in our small group. C.S. Lewis. The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let Christ take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. 
In that sense, our real selves are all waiting for us in Him. It is no good truly to be myself without Him. The more I resist Him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. So the you you think you are is not the you God wanted you to be unless you are in God's Son. I said that right. Good. Proverbs 2, 6. The Lord gives wisdom, but from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Therefore, if we're going to know ourselves, if you want to truly know what you're about and how you work, go to the Word. And so we're going to do that this morning. If you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, today we're going to talk about comparisons. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. We compare ourselves to other people, and what we end up doing is we let other people decide who we need to be. We're not happy because we see that people have more things. We're not content because people have better lives or they're more beautiful than us. Therefore, we covet those things, and we're not content with the grace that God's given us. And what we end up doing is we end up pointing a finger at the master. Without any further ado, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 20. And the Holy Spirit through Matthew says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever it is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each one received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am not doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Let's pray. Father, send your spirit upon me that I may proclaim the truth of God so that your son may be glorified. Father, open our eyes this morning. Reveal to us the depths of our own sin, of our own pride, of our self-pity. Show us the law. Show us how far we've fallen. And then show us Jesus. Amen. (laughs) 
Every single Sunday, I try to drive home one idea so that you don't lose me and I don't lose myself. Here's the idea. If you don't leave, if you leave here not remembering one thing I say, here's what I'm trying to say this morning. This is what I believe we should take. If, if nothing else, here's what I believe we should take from Matthew chapter 20. Those who live in the light of God's sovereign grace are less concerned with comparing themselves with others and are more concerned with thanking God for what he's given them. I'm going to say that one more time. Those who live in the light of God's sovereign grace are less concerned with comparing themselves with others and are more concerned with thanking God for what he's given them. My children love mac and cheese. Nothing wrong with that. I like mac and cheese. Raise your hand if you like mac and cheese. Raise your hand if your kids like mac and cheese. Okay. The only problem is I think we feed them that every day and it's, it's becoming a problem. That, now my wife took that personally. Um, the problem is, see, they will, they will love you. If you come over our house and you bring mac and cheese, you're their friend because you have what they love. And it ends up, if you give them mac and cheese, you've made their day. They are, they're, they're like really good kids when they have mac and cheese. Except when one looks over and sees that the other has more. Then, it, then it's not good. In fact, it's so not good that suddenly they don't like mac and cheese anymore. They're upset. It's not as if it was kind of like, oh man, I still like this stuff. It's good. No, no, no. No, their meal is ruined. Because she has more than me. He has more. You need to fix this, dad. The power of comparison has somehow, I don't know how it does it, but it's actually reached down into um, my child's heart. It's taken out the gladness, and then it's actually made its way into their taste buds so that they don't even like mac and cheese anymore. It did that all in just looking over, and they had more than me. It's funny to watch. Actually, it ends up inevitably with two things. Um, Either they steal the other's mac and cheese... Um, or daddy just makes it right and gives the other more. See, we laugh about that, but we do that too. We look at what people have, and suddenly we don't like what we have anymore. We're greedy. We're like little kids with toys. And then suddenly the toys get old, and then we find newer toys, and we find people who have toys that we don't, and then we get angry. We get dissatisfied. We're really content... Until, like Adam, we look over at what we don't have and go, hmm, I got the world, but that looks nice. Hey, honey, honey, did you see that they added on to their house? God, that looks good. We need, I wish we had money to do that. Oh, she's so pretty. Man, I, his, his job is just, I mean, we don't, I don't make anything. Did you say they went on vacation again? I mean, it's like they're everywhere. Where do they get the money? It's amazing. You know, honey, she took him. No, he took her on a date again. When have we been on a date? You don't take me on dates anymore. I took you on a date, so it's fine. (laughs) We go to Africa on a mission trip, and we come back, and we go what? Man, we just don't realize how good we got it. And then we come back to America for about a week, and then we're back in America now. And we're looking at what other people have. 
Comparisons steal our joy. They steal our peace. They steal our frame of mind. They steal our thankfulness. And comparisons, just like my kids' mac and cheese, we have them enough, it takes the taste out of our mouths and it leaves us with a sense of ingratitude just by looking over and seeing what someone has. In our passage this morning, everyone was fine. Everyone was dandy in Matthew 20 until what? They said, I, I, where's, my, where's my wage? Where's my denarius? See, even the people that got it first were happy and then they looked over and they're like, that guy's been here like an hour. What's up with that? Hey, did you, did you do that? How, did you work? I've been here all day. Hey, hey, go back and get something less because I worked all day. And then finally, it, it festers enough, they go to the master himself. And I'm going to be honest with y'all. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be the pastor here and rightly divide the word of truth. Let me put myself out there for a second. I think I would probably speak up. I've been working 12 hours now. You're going to give the same thing to the guy who worked an hour. I think this passage really grates it, it starts to rub against our American sense of fairness. You work, you get this. You do this much, you get this. But what Jesus is saying is that in the, in the kingdom of God, it doesn't work like that. Look at what he says in verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So that's why that, that's that's Jesus' way of saying you're lucky to get what you got. Y'all ever heard that one before? I remember I went to a professor one time. I was I was not happy with my grade, and that's essentially what he told me. He's like, "Oh no, no, I actually gave you more than you deserved." Oh, okay. Do you want that? No, no, I'm good. No. Verse 15, this is what he says to the grumbling worker. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Therefore, this isn't just about thankfulness. Don't read Matthew 20 and walk away and go, okay, I guess the point was I need to be thankful. No, no, no. When we compare ourselves to others, when you compare your success and your life and your possessions to others, and you start pointing the finger at the master of the vineyard. Those who are not happy with what they have are questioning the goodness and the justice of God. That's sin. That's offensive. When we grumble over what we don't have, we're telling God, your grace isn't enough. I deserve more. An ungrateful heart is an idolatrous heart. He says, I'm, I'm going to read it one more time. I mean, this is really much all you need to say. Verse 15. Am I not allowed to do with what's mine as I please? Facebook is a lightning rod for comparisons. In fact, I would, I would go so far as to say that Facebook is predicated on banking on you comparing yourself to someone else. What often happens is, the way we should use it is from the overflow of our gratitude, God, here's what you've given me, I'm sharing it with all. What often happens is, oh man, did you see that, did that picture where they went? Well, you know, we need to go somewhere, I can take a picture and I can show everybody else too. That's how it works. See, what we see on Facebook is people being thankful. What we don't see 
is people lusting, comparing, envying the lives they don't have. When we compare ourselves to others, we're not only diminishing God's grace, we're making light of what God has already given us. And what he just said in verse 15 is, you don't deserve anything. I give as I see fit. Which is actually why God frequently takes away the things he's given us so that what? We can see what we had. God does it all the time. He does it on purpose. And then after we're done, it's like my kids, when I take away their mac and cheese, like, I like mac and cheese now. Here's something we should remember as Christians. God gave us the law, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. God gave us the law so that we would not just simply not covet, that we would even know what coveting is. Look at Romans 7, 7. I don't know if I put it up there. What then shall we say? This is Paul talking. That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So the law expressly commands us not to covet. Therefore, do not want, do not, do not lust after something that's not yours. The world, Paul's saying, doesn't even know what coveting is. The world doesn't even know that it's coveting. Part of the law, part of the purpose God gave us the law was so that we would have a little bit of self-reflection and go, oh wait, that's what I'm doing in my heart. To covet is to break the Ten Commandment and to diminish God's grace. To want someone's position at work. To want someone's good looks. To want someone's life. To want someone's wealth. We do it all the time. And it's wrong. You know, I heard a guy the other day ask a woman on the street. He said, what are the Ten Commandments? And she laughed. He said, no, 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 seriously, what just was the Ten Commandments? I don't know where this was. And she said, whatever you can go to jail for, is what she said. That was how she defined the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I'd never heard of it like that. That's, no. The world, and I'm glad that she said it in some sense because it, it allowed me to kind of see what I think we all see, which is our world thinks that to be a law-abiding citizen is necessarily to be a good Christian, and the two aren't the same. You can be a law-abiding citizen and be an arrogant, prideful, self-centered idolater. You don't go to jail... Correct me if I'm wrong on this, Ken. I, don't, I think I'm right. You don't go to jail for coveting. But you go to hell for coveting. Think about that. In fact, I would go so far as to say that coveting is maybe, maybe, the most frequently committed sin. Because, as Paul says, sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. Ingratitude becomes part of the air that we breathe and so what the world will do is the world will say this. So I see everybody else is coveting. It's not a big thing. It's called capitalism. It's called an American dream. You see, what the world is doing is it's doing what? It's comparing with everyone else. But the law doesn't compare your sin to other people's sin. The law compares your sin with who? God's holiness. Therefore, I would go ahead if you want to put this up here. When judging sinners, God does not compare your sin to others. 
Therefore, when he shows us grace, we should not compare our blessings to others. Comparisons make us think less of our sin and less of God's gifts. I don't know if y'all are like me. I am so subtle with my sin. I mean, I'm just, I'm telling you, I'm a poor evaluator. If left to myself, Abby is a poor evaluator of his own sin. We all are. Because I can pull this off. I can actually make it seem, when I'm, in, when I'm in pride and I'm in lusting after something, when I'm in the middle of idolatry, I can make myself think that I'm not. I'm actually just, I'm having a pity party. It looks like self-pity. This is a, a marvelous quote from a pastor in Lexington. Self-pity is pride disguised as humility. It's not a sense of unworthiness but a feeling of unnoticed worthiness. It says, I deserve more. Chew on that one for a second. A complaint before the Lord is idolatry. Grumbling before the Lord is worship of self. Throwing a small pity party is arrogance. It's saying, God, I deserve more than this. Just like the laborers in the vineyard. Whoa, you missed a step. You gave him a denarius. There must be something coming my way here. No. We're called to love our neighbors. Yes, we're called to imitate godly people. But the Lord says the law is between you and me. You have fallen. Now, there might be someone here this morning going, okay, I mean, I get that. But uh, I'm just going to tell you where I come from. If you pay someone one thing for working an hour, you better pay them another for working 12. I mean, let's be honest for a second. When you read that, you go... I might have been the laborer there. That's why I think it's one of the most effective parables that Jesus ever tells because it really catches everyone as soon as you read it. I think Americans have a harder time reading this than someone in the third world because someone in the third world is like, yeah, I've done that all the time, been ripped off. World's not fair. Get over it. Americans like, well, that's not fair. I worked, I get this. Well, Jesus says you work and you'll get what I give you. Read the first seven words in this passage. For the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like that. The world isn't like that. But Jesus says this is how God's kingdom works. Jesus wants us to know when it comes to grace, when it comes to distributing his gifts, when it comes to anything he gives us, God will give us what he wants to give us. He tells the ungrateful laborer, aren't I allowed to do what's mine? It's like when I come home, when I come home sometimes, I want to watch the news. But Roman's watching the Disney Channel. So I'll change the channel and he cries and then I'll inevitably say something sarcastic like, oh, I'm sorry, can I borrow your TV? I know, poor parenting, I'll improve. (laughs) But it's like God rolls up on the scene. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, were you there when I created the earth? Were you there when I made the Atlantic Ocean? That was yours, wasn't it? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you there when... Oh, no, I was there when you were born. In fact, I was there when your great-great-great-grandma was born. God is claiming what's His, and what He's saying is, open your eyes to what's mine, and therefore you'll be thankful for what's yours. The problem isn't that we have... The problem really doesn't even begin with the image of ourselves. We have such a low view of God. 
that if we opened our eyes and saw how big and vast and transcendent he was, we'd be okay with what we had. Gratefulness, being a thankful Christian, begins with worshiping God. There is no one who doesn't know how to worship God who is somehow becoming a thankful person. Which I would go so far as to say this, if there is a grateful people on this earth, it would be found in the church. Christians of all people have no excuse to be ungrateful. We're the people touting to the rest of the world, there's a God who became man and he died for our sins so that we don't go to hell. How in the world is there some cognitive dissonance when we give people the gospel and then we complain about the line at the restaurant? As Christians, we understand that everything we have is by God's grace. Our job, the work we do, the houses we own, our families, our lives. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. There's only two comparisons in the Christian life that you're allowed to make, that we're allowed to make. What we deserve by the law compared to what we got in Jesus, that would be justification. In our lives today compared with the standard of God's holiness, which is sanctification. That means at no point in time... Can I, Avi Todd, look at Daryl and be like, I'm a pastor, Daryl, you're not, uh, go get me coffee. Hey, I've I've been doing this a little bit longer than you, Daryl, okay? Take it from me, the pro-Christian, you'll learn one day. I can't do that. Why? Because I'm a laborer in the vineyard with Daryl. I'm not the master of the house. That means at no point can one of us experienced Christians act as if somehow we need less of God's grace than someone who walked in the door for the first time. We are all laborers in God's vineyard. And the best way, when I was, I'm sorry, I grew up in Kentucky. We didn't play football well, so we all played basketball. And they give you those blinders when you're learning how to dribble without, you know, because every kid, when they're like six, they're like doing this. You know, it's like upward. Every, Every kid's like, don't, no, don't do it. So what they do is they put these blinders on you so that you can't look at anything else. You just have to do this. That's literally how I began to dribble. And it's as if God wants us to put blinders on and go, no, 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 no. You're not working for him. You're not working for her. You're working for me. And you have to desire me more than whatever I'm going to give you. Happy laborers, God-glorifying, God-satisfied laborers don't need a denarius. They need God. They need Jesus. The kingdom of God is not about fairness in the way that we would define fair because if things were really fair, we'd all go to hell. There's two ways, I thought about this. There's two ways, if I could break it down, The two primary ways I see Christians in the church uh, comparing themselves sinfully to other Christians in the church, and one of them goes like this. We've got one Christian over here who has been raised in the church ever since they knew how to walk. Never drank an an ounce of alcohol, never been to a party, never said a cuss word. They've been in church their whole life. They're saved by God's grace. They believed in the gospel when they were 10 They got married to a believer. They're on the straight and narrow and they're running the race. And then someone gets saved in the church at the age of 40 and it's happy. But a little bit of sin in the older believer goes, 
man, I kind of wish maybe I'd been able to party when I was that age. I didn't get to enjoy all the fleeting pleasures of the world. You know, my mom was really strict on me growing up. I mean, that, those, those people just walked in up to God's grace. They got to live how they want. Now they're just, God's just giving it to. I've been in here in church ever since I was born. Who does she think he is? I mean, she just, she just came in, got saved, and now she thinks that her sins are washed away. That's how the gospel works. And what happens is the older laborers in the church go, man, I've been out here a long time. They just showed up. I'm telling you all how sinful we are. It really grates against our sense of fairness when we look over and we see that God really does mean when he says it is finished, come and I will give you life. And instead of weighing how much we've worked with, they've worked, we should look at the master and go, I guess we all got grace. And God's response to the ungrateful Christian today is the same as his ungrateful labor in Matthew 20. Am I not allowed to do with what I choose with what belongs to me? God does not owe a gospel to anyone. And anyone who comes, comes by his calling, his power, and his grace. The second is when Younger, newer, more immature believers come into the church and they're happy and they're, you know, it's so simple and they've got this new life and they've got this new family. They've got this new excitement. And then they see older, more mature, more experienced Christians in the church and they go, man, I wish I was like them. They, all, they know all the Bible answers. I don't know them yet. God, I'm always asking stupid questions. If I could just be like that person. That's not the way the kingdom works either. Because God has composed the body where it doesn't matter whether you've been working 12 hours or one hour. It doesn't matter if you've been laboring in God's field for 70 years or seven minutes. Everyone in the field is there by God's grace and by his design and by his sovereign plan. Every labor in the vineyard, whether young or old, is called to serve the master of the vineyard and not themselves. I'm telling you, I just had a conversation with, uh, with Gene and JB back here this morning. We really got to watch out in America by this American dream. Because if you buy into the American dream for long enough, you will see other things you want. If you live in this country long enough, we are, we're capitalists. We're a laissez-faire society. If you want it, go and get it. That's what America's feeding you. And if you buy into it long enough, you will never be satiated. Fulfilled, sorry. Coveting is insatiable. You won't ever, ever find enough. This world will always find something else to dangle in front of you. There are, there are people, there are sinners still rejecting Jesus and still trying to find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's not there. Meanwhile, the gospel's here. The simple gospel is the only thing that satisfies the human soul. The laborers in Matthew 20 all have one thing in common. One thing. One work 12... One worked nine, one worked six, one worked three, one worked one. 
they're probably not liking each other. The, the one working 12 sure as heck ain't liking the one who worked one. Like, man, where was he sitting? But they have one thing in common. What is it? They all got paid. They all got paid. There is not one soul in heaven right now complaining about how much they worked and how much someone didn't. There is not one single soul in heaven bemoaning the fact that they got a little more grace than someone else did. Everyone in heaven is happy with what they got because the gospel is sufficient. No one is looking anywhere else to the riches. In fact, in heaven, they're happy for people getting more than they have. Because in heaven, there is perfect worship and perfect fulfillment looking at the master of the vineyard and everyone is collectively saying, worthy is the lamb. Not, I want more. Friends, the gospel is enough. And here's, what I, here's what's amazing about Jesus. Jesus is the only obedient laborer. Jesus is the only laborer who came out into the field and worked overtime and never complained. Jesus is the only one sent from the master's own house saying, I will take upon me what I don't deserve. I'll work all day. I'll get mistreated. And all I'll get paid is nails on a cross so that you can get paid something you don't deserve. That's the gospel, friends. We worship Jesus because he worked all day in the field and he didn't say one word. And he looked at the person who'd been working an hour and complaining and he said, believe in me and I'll take what you deserve and I'll give you something that you have no business having because I love you. Friends, we don't deserve anything. And let's be careful when we ask for what's fair because if you get what's fair, you're not going to like what you get. But if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will get grace. And we have to believe in God's grace as much today as we did when we were first saved. Let's come to Jesus as thankful laborers, loving what we have and appreciating the grace that God gives us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just letting me work in the field. Thank you, Father, for paying me what we have today because all I have today that will last is what Jesus paid for me with his own blood. I'm so sorry for my ingratitude. I confess my sin. Father, we collectively, corporately, this morning, we confess that we have bemoaned your grace. We have begrudged your generosity. But Father, you can do with yours as you please. And we'll be happy with what we receive. And all these things we ask in your son's name. Amen.